Customers and marketers live essentially in their own world. Customers have an identity, they have a certain product knowledge, they have goals and attitudes, and they have a way how they make decisions and have cognitive resources available. Marketers, on the other hand, have the same thing, but they're very different from the customer's world. And that makes it difficult to actually put ourselves in the shoes of the customer and tailor an experience to them. Hello, everyone. Get ready to dive into the world of marketing and business strategies with another exciting episode of the VWO podcast. Our guest for this episode is renowned consumer psychology expert, Daniel Gold. Here, Daniel shares insights about conversion optimization and explains how you can leverage behavioral research to drive growth and revenue. But wait, this episode isn't like your regular podcast. It's a unique webinar turned video podcast and it is delivered to you in the form of an exclusive masterclass. So don't forget to hit that follow button and join us as we speak to leading industry experts about some amazing stuff that can help you drive growth and achieve long-term success. Without any further delay, let's jump right into this conversation with Daniel and learn how to accelerate your CRO program with behavioral research. So imagine you have a small website which has a total of 100 elements. So we're talking about sentences, images, icons, CTAs, everything together is 100. And what we now is that the typical user on such a site will see 20% of the content. So imagine now you want to randomly change the elements um, to modify which of the elements isn't the 20% that the typical user will see. That's a very, very simple optimization challenge. However, the number of variation you would have to test if you just do it randomly is 5e plus 20. So for those who are not familiar with this type of numbers, 4e plus 11, that's 11 zeros behind a 4. That's the number of stars in our Milky Way. So that's already 400 billion, so we add actually nine zeros to that. So even with the most wonderful traffic, you will not be able to test that purely based on trial and error. Um, the next thing that many people try when they optimize websites is intuition. They say, well, I have an intuition. I know roughly what our customers are most likely to want and what converts people. The problem is intuition actually doesn't work well for user interface optimization. Um, the reason for this is that customers and marketers live essentially in their own world. Customers have an identity, they have a certain product knowledge, they have goals and attitudes, and they have a way how they make decisions and have cognitive resources available. Marketers, on the other hand, have the same thing, but they're very different from the customer's world. And that makes it difficult to actually put ourselves in the shoes of the customer and tailor an experience to them. So I'll give you an actual example from a test which we run, which was a usability test on a cruise website. So that's a website where people can book uh, uh, cruise ships and then go on holiday with these. So what we found here is that novices, people who had never booked a cruise before, found this website very conservative and dull. They couldn't understand a lot of the terminology that were used on the website, especially flight cruises, which I guess not even everyone here would know are cruises that require you to fly to a port of departure. And they also didn't fully understand the concept of excursions because they had no idea that a cruise ship will always offer excursions at any port. Um, the next thing is that they also struggle to actually see clear benefits of this type of holiday. And we measured here in this test also where a galvanic spin response, the actual stress levels, and they were very high. So 
that was a massive surprise for the marketers who designed the site because they thought it's very appealing, clear, easy to understand, and full of USPs. The reason for this is that all these marketers were obviously experts on cruises. They are marketers who sell cruises. They know everything about their product. They have a very different idea of identity. So putting them there in the shoes of these novice customers was very, very difficult. And this is where ultimately research had to be done to optimize this website. Um, another thing um, that we can put easily forward is actually our own experience as an agency. I worked four and a half years for House of Kaizen now. And when I started in 2015 with the mission to actually um, tailor us and, and orientate us towards research in zero, um, we had a much lower green test performance and a much lower average uplift per test. The increase between 2015, when we started really to take research serious, uh, to last year is 65% more uh, green tech, and that's a total right now of 83%, which is a very great number for the industry. And the average uplift per test has doubled to now 16%. And that's because we have started to take research very serious in the way how we do zero. So what actually are the principles that make research successful? Um, the first thing to keep in mind is that when you do your zero process, research needs to be at the start of it. So you need to do ad hoc, which means tailored, specific, and small pieces of research, which are really, really focused on an individual problem to actually fuel your test hypothesis. Then you will normally start with the framework. You do prioritization of your ideas. You do testing strategies. You will develop wireframes, blueprints, and designs, and copyright. Ultimately, the test will be coded and developed and launched. But then in the end comes research again to actually analyze the test results and the performance much more in depth than just like knowing how the test performs based on conversion rate. So this is where you can additionally fuel research to get new hypotheses. And obviously, you will do other ad hoc projects throughout your um, zero program. So one of the key challenges, and you can imagine that challenge actually coming from this need that research fuels hypotheses, is to make research actionable. Um, classic research, I remember like 10 years ago, I used to work in market research. We would produce reports out, and we wouldn't actually bother if there's any actions that clients could take for reports. This is something you can't do in performance marketing and especially zero. So how can you ensure research is actionable? Uh, one very simple track is, uh, uh, trick is to run joint test ideation workshops where your researchers, your zero consultants, design teams, and if necessary, also development teams come together and discuss the insights that come out of a piece of research. Typically, we spend between one and two hours on such a workshop that actually builds on a piece of research. And the advantage of this is that people can straight away jump into ideas and think about how could we test based on this research insight. The next thing is uh, the planning of the research. It's very important when research is designed to keep in mind that everything needs to have an application. And you can already ask yourself, what if the research shows X, Y, Z, how would we test based on it? Can we actually make a test? Another trick is to use a lot of multi-method research where you combine behavioral and attitudinal methodologies. So you combine an insight about what users do 
which is behaviors, with their thoughts and feelings, which are the attitudes that you reveal. And ultimately, and there comes a fourth element is that you can actually uh, merge your research with behavioral economics and use a behavior theory so that it becomes more actionable. And I want to show an example of how actually this comes together. This is an eye-tracking gaze plot. Uh, what you see here is that users start on the very dominant headline, they move to a brand logo in the top left thing, and the third thing they're seeing are these device images. So if you look at this piece of behavioral research, you might ask yourself, what does this pattern mean? Which actions are to take? And the answer would be no idea. So more needs to be added to the mix to actually make this actionable. So what we did here is we, applied, we deployed consumer theory about the way how people orientate themselves when they come onto a new website or even in a physical room. They will first check, where am I? They want to find out some sort of an idea what is going on. And also among the first thing is they want to understand what can I do somewhere. So here the order was actually, first of all, the check for what can I do here, which is called a phone-in, and obviously there's protection, it's an antivirus shop. Where am I? This is where the brand logo comes in. And the third thing, we actually needed to do even more research on the actual attitudes and a little bit go more subconscious um, with tests, uh, association tests, to find out what is going on at the third stage. What actually is going on here is that people want to know if the software is compatible with their system and if the store matches to their personality. And they use this actually as a cue if the software will be difficult or easy to use or advanced or just very simple. And this ultimately now is something that happens in five seconds when people land on this masthead of this software shop. So now we're throwing even more theory in the mix. Behavioral economics teaches us that people have two decision-making systems. One is system one, which is based on intuition. It's fast, emotional, and system two on the other side is about thought and reasoning, slow and rational. When we talk about five seconds on the page, as in this antivirus shop masthead, people cannot make a system two decision. Everything will happen fast, very subconsciously, and there will be just cues of, oh, I want to go forward or not. And a lot of bounds on pages happens like that. The trick now is that system one wants easy and quick accessible information. System one hates to dig in information and do in-depth reasoning, because this is system two. What we ultimately did now in a redesign is to give system one all the information at once in a much easier way in the masthead. So one thing you can see is the word protect is not the start of the headline. You can directly see what you can do here, and the brand clue is also very simple uh, and create accessible. But then we also added a personalization. Um, depending on the device the user comes with to the page, it will change the uh, device that's written in the headline. So if you come on a Windows 10 computer, it will show you that you can protect Windows 10 computers here, and it will also change the image on the right matching to the device you're on. And this ultimately means that now the compatibility is super easy accessible. And to address the lifestyle image, the lifestyle cube, we actually put a lifestyle image in the back because this particular brand wasn't really for techies and geeky people. It was for very ordinary people who want to protect the family or have a nice home. 
So ultimately, this product 26% uplift in conversion rate, but you see what it was actually a lot of thrown in the mix from having the eye tracking data to actually adding consumer theory, testing what happens in decision making, and then ultimately understanding we need to make this information very accessible. So I hope this example wasn't too much. And now when we discuss some CRO research results, I'll also give some much simpler examples. Um, the first thing to understand is that um, research methods are normally divided in some sort of groups. Um, one is attitudinal and behavioral, which is, okay, attitudes is about the thoughts and feelings of users and behaviors is about the actions. Um, the other divide is quantitative, qualitative, with quantitative data being numbers and qualitative stuff being unstructured data like images. And there's also the distinction between on-site, anything you do in an application um, that's actually happening there, versus off-site, for example, going with people into a laboratory and not actually touching the application. The most important um, way to classify methods or refund out is attitudinal or behavioral, because they do very different jobs. And it's very important to keep that in mind. So ultimately, you can't just have only behavioral or only attitudinal methods. You should at least have something of both. Um, these are the research methods that we are actually using in the agency. I'm not going to go through all of these. You can Google some out if you find them interesting or you might already have some. Um, what I've tried here is to give actually some sort of an idea of what would be the minimum to run a successful CRO program with research. It's very clear that the minimum would be a traffic analytics, um, which would be Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics or similar tools, a heat mapping tool, a session recording tool, pop-up surveys, and parts of feedback. And I will talk a little bit about these now to show you better how they work and why they are very easy to use tools that can bring you a very straight insight. So in the um, behavioral tools, traffic analytics, is great to show conversion rates. A lot of test tracking happens with it as well. It can show you the path that people take in terms of the succession of pages visited to convert. And it can also show you exit rates. Where do people actually drop off? There are things, unfortunately, it can't do great. It's not great in tracking scrolling or clicks unless you do custom setup, which you can invest in, and then you have that. And the time on page for this tool even though it's offered, is very unreliable. This goes back to the way how these tools work. They essentially fire information when you come on a web page. And when you go to another page, they fire again information into a database. What's happening now, if you leave the website, there's just no information coming in. The tool doesn't really know what happened. Are you still on the same page? Or are you actually now on a total different thing and close to your browser? That's why time and page is not very reliable. We can also not track hoovering. This is where heat mapping helps you a lot because uh, heat mapping really gets an idea of hoovering, mouse hoovering, and scrolling and clicks are out of the box accessible. You don't need a custom setup. Session recordings on the other side um, tell you much more about the order in which page elements collect engagements and the actual durations of engagements because it can measure time on page very, very well. The problem is, uh, you work with much smaller samples on that than, for example, traffic analytics, where you can have all your data in your sample. So all of these tools have something they're good at and something they're a little bit less good at, 
And that's why having them all in the portfolio is quite important. So what could you, for example, do with these? So I gave you an example here for traffic analytics for a very simple task that was easy to do. So we looked in the behavioral flow with the GA stunning feature, and we found most conversions happens via a page that explains the trial of 100 days, which is a form of guarantee for this mattress. So if you buy the mattress, you can return over there in 100 days. Most conversions happen from the homepage into this try page and then throughout the funnel. When people, whenever people did not go into this trial page, they actually dropped off and exited. That led to the hypothesis that if we actually drive more traffic through the trial page, we might simply increase conversion without adding any page or any sophisticated content. So in the end, what we did is we added small budgets here that mentioned the trial and made these budgets clickable to drive more traffic into the trial page. That brought 7.4% conversion on the thank you page for a very small and very easy thing, just basically adding two links on the homepage. So strengthening a path to conversion by putting more people through it is an option that is very easy to spot, for example, in such a tool. Uh, one example for heat mapping I'm brought here is lost clicks. Lost clicks is a classic heat mapping issue. It means people are clicking on something that doesn't have a click action attached to it. These are lost clicks on a magazine shop, and the heat maps you see here are actually VWO heat maps. I would know that very well because I extracted them in 2015. The, what you see here is a, a magazine cover, and we see actually clicks happening on the magazine cover and strong mouse movements on the magazine cover. So the hypothesis was built that people here want more content. They interact with the magazine cover because before they subscribe to this magazine, they actually want to see more content. And the solution then, what you see on the right, was to design a preview where you could actually scroll through a magazine in a digital format and by this get more familiarity with the content. That brought 10% conversion rate, but again, it's a quite simple uh, research piece here, just looking at where do people click, where is no click action. Um, the preview functionality is a little bit more complicated to do, but if you have the assets, it's not so difficult. And I want to give, um, mention something on pop-up service now going into the attitudinal research. Um, attitudinal research measures thoughts and feelings, so we're moving away now from behaviors. And the great thing about pop-ups, as you see them on the right, which are small nudges where questions are transported, is that they are actually in the live environment where users are on the site. We're not taking users out to answer a large questionnaire, we're not taking participants that are not on the site. We're taking natural users. They're in the context of using the site, and we're asking them questions. And these questions can easily really relate anything related to the experience on the site, like content gaps. They can also relate things prior to the visit, which is why did you actually come to the site, and they give more ideas of the needs and interests of users. This means this form of pop-up are much more effective than, for example, simple uh, parts of feedback systems like, oh, please give me feedback on the site in a widget like is there, because they can target a specific question. The only thing you need is a certain amount of traffic, but typically response rates are ordered one to 1%, only on some pages like thank you pages can be much higher. Um, quickly an example how we applied that. Um, here we did a pop-up on a newspaper editorial so where people can read articles of an online newspaper. And we asked people, why do you want to read the articles? 
and we, we extracted here different um, different ideas why they read the business pages. That's what they answered. And we found there's a common a lot of common themes about making informed decisions, be it private investments, be it in, in your uh, company life. That ultimately then was used to actually um, combine it with a, with a design principle and certain overlay here, what you see here on the right. And that drove people into the store to actually buy a subscription, which gets you access to even more content. So the property enabled you uh, to put really the key why people want this product on the overlay, which is informed decision. And you see it had a massive um, uplift. So summing up, why is research important? Research is important because trial and error doesn't work for websites. There's too many options. Intuition doesn't work well because you can never put yourself exactly in the shoes of your customers. Um, successful research needs to be actionable. That's the key challenge. You can do this especially by combining behavioral and attitudinal methods with consumer theory that helps you also to find the actions. Um, there's a tremendous amount of research methods in attitudinal, behavioral, and a mix of both. Um, we recommend that the minimum you use, the really minimum, is traffic analytics, heat mapping, session recordings, and pop-up service. Some of these tools are very easy accessible, like I know BWO, for example, has already heat maps and recordings, and the other tools can easily also be get. Thank you, Daniel, for these wonderful insights on building an optimization program with behavioral research. And thank you, folks, for sticking with us throughout this episode. Now, it's your turn to take action. Implement these game-changing strategies and let us know what impact it had on your business. Also, share this episode with anyone who could benefit from these insights, and don't forget to check out the other fascinating conversations that we've had with industry experts. Before you go, make sure to hit that follow button so that you don't miss a single episode of VWO Podcast. That's a wrap from our side. Until next time, goodbye, take care, and always be testing.